the Monster Weekend delivered for us. We had a great slate of games that, for the most part, were all amazing. Let's talk some Destiny control. How many teams are alive and how many of those alive teams completely control their own destiny? It's more than you think. And let's get into some coaching perspectives. We're going to talk Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher. Let's get into it. everybody i'm your host michael kirkering let's talk college football podcast and if you listened to the show last week you'll know i was super excited about um this last weekend because there were a ton of games every slot that's the noon slot the 3 30 slot the 7 38 p.m slots of course you always got your pac 12 nightcaps everything was loaded with excitement and golly did these games deliver i mean just Straight up amazing football. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. I mean, seriously, what is better than grown men in football pads smashing the shit out of each other, strategizing, making plays? There's just nothing better. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Um, at noon, one game that wasn't huge on the national scale, but I did have money on it, was that Memphis Temple game. Temple delivered for me. I went 9-1 and one in my picks this week in my pool. I had one point on Texas. That was the only game I lost. So I won my 10 point, 9 point, 8 point, all the way down to my 2 point games, which actually jumped me up to first place in my pool. So I'm feeling good, feeling pretty good this week. Got to maintain that now. Now that I'm in first, it's all about being steady. But Let's get back to relevant college football topics. What we did get at noon was the first of a bunch of games that mattered on a national scale, and that was the Texas-Oklahoma game. And boy, was it exciting to see the Red River shootout back. Obviously, it came back last year. Last year was a great game. This year, we got two teams ranked in the top 11, number 6, Oklahoma, versus number 11, Texas. And we learned a lot from this game. And I mean a lot, mostly about Oklahoma. One thing that is super scary is that Oklahoma looks like they have finally found a defense to go along with their offense. And even though I would argue their offense has taken a minor step back from last year, just just a little bit, just a little bit, Jalen Hurts can't throw the ball downfield quite the way that Baker did and that Kyler Murray did, especially when it comes to accuracy. But I think as a team... Oklahoma took a giant step forward this year because that defense was legit. This game was 10-3 at halftime. If you were betting over and unders in this game and you took the under, first of all, kudos on you. But you probably walked away with some nice cash because these games are typically shootouts. Any game involving Oklahoma and any Big 12 team is always a shootout. But the Oklahoma defense really shut Texas down, especially in that first half. And long story short, what we basically learned from the game is that Texas is pretty much out of the playoff hunt. Now their Big 12 hopes are still totally alive. They'll probably rematch with Oklahoma, which is scary for Oklahoma, because you don't want to rematch anybody. That's what's scary about the Big 12, is you are going to have a rematch game in the championship game no matter what because they only have their 10 teams, no divisions. They do a round robin. The best two teams play each other again. That's why last year, even though Oklahoma lost the regular season game, the Red River shootout last year, they avenged that game in the Big 12 championship, kind of won it handily, and secured their playoff spot. So Oklahoma completely alive for the playoff. Texas probably not, but if you're Texas you are shooting for a revenge game 
and you're shooting for a Big 12 championship, which would put you in a big New Year's Six game for the second year in a row, and maybe an outside playoff shot. I mean, their losses right now are the two best losses there is, and they were both pretty competitive, especially the LSU loss. So they lost to LSU, and they've now lost to Oklahoma. So I'd say they're the best two-loss team for sure right now. They don't have a huge opportunity to get a lot more of these big wins. I mean, Baylor's undefeated right now, but we'll see how that goes. And they obviously have a chance to rematch Oklahoma and win that. That's a big revenge game. But they might just be playing spoiler at that point as far as the playoffs concerned because I don't know if they'll be able to get in with the two losses. A lot of crazy things would have to happen. And we'll get into some of that in a little bit when I talk about who's alive and who's not. All right, well, moving on, we had a monster game out in the Big Ten once the 330 slates got started, and that was Michigan State and Wisconsin. And on paper, both of these teams were completely alive going into that game, and that's because if you have one loss and you're in a Power 5 conference, you're, you're safe. It doesn't mean you control your own destiny, but most likely, if you look at the history, especially in the playoff era, if you win a Power 5 conference with one loss, you're probably getting into the playoff unless they have four other conference champions with better records, or even records and you lose in the tiebreaker. See Ohio State last year, right? They lost that game to Purdue. And when it came down to that fourth spot between them and Oklahoma, they went with Oklahoma because Oklahoma's only loss was that field goal game to Texas that they avenged, while Ohio State's only loss was a bad, bad loss to a mediocre at best Purdue team. So that's why Oklahoma got the nod over Ohio State last year. And Michigan State didn't look very good against Ohio State, but if Michigan State could have somehow ran the table after that, although unlikely, they'd probably be right in the thick of things for the playoff. But now they were shut out by Wisconsin, who looks incredible. So Michigan State, just like Texas, falls to two losses, which means, hey, they're still alive for the Big Ten, kind of, although both their losses are Big Ten losses, which makes it really tough for them. You know, they got to win the rest of their games and then hope that the two teams that beat them lose twice, which isn't impossible, but just doesn't look, it doesn't look like Ohio State's going to lose at all, let alone twice. It doesn't look like Wisconsin's going to lose, not that they need Wisconsin to lose twice because that's the other division, but they would need some things to happen. And it's just probably not going to happen for them. If you're projecting based on the way they're playing, it ain't going to happen. So that's where we are with them. But golly, Wisconsin just looks crazy. This defense looks like an SEC defense. It looks better than any SEC defense to this point outside maybe Auburn, right? And I know SEC fans want to say, well, who has Wisconsin really played? Well, they played Michigan, who's looking better. And they destroyed them, destroyed them. And they beat. Michigan State a lot more soundly than Ohio State did, and a lot of people think Ohio State's the number one team in the country. So Wisconsin looking great. They're right in the thick of things. Another game at 3.30 that was important and was fun to watch was Alabama A&M, and I don't really know why A&M was ranked going into this game. I think it was mostly from a ratings perspective. I don't think A&M is as overrated as everyone else does. I think they were definitely overhyped, and that's obvious, but people think they're just god-awful now, and that's mostly A&M fans that are upset that they're not already playing for national championship, but that's because they're stupid and unrealistic. I'm going to get into Jimbo Fisher and some coaching stuff later, so stay tuned. But Alabama holds Texas A&M off, looks pretty good doing it. Alabama up to this point hasn't really been tested. It's funny because everybody's giving Clemson so much crap right now for their schedule, and rightfully so, the ACC's down, and Texas A&M is probably the best team Clemson's beat. But you'd have to say the same thing about Alabama. Alabama hasn't beaten anybody. I mean, that South Carolina win looks a little better now after that Georgia win, which, oh, by the way, I guess I missed that game. That was also at noon. South Carolina beating Georgia, our first major upset of the season. And honestly, well, I guess we had Purdue, Ohio State last year, so... We haven't had a lot of these big-time upsets in recent years. I'm talking a ranked team, a top-five team, a national championship contending team, losing to an unranked team. That just usually doesn't happen outside of Ohio State the last couple years. Ohio State lost to Purdue last year. They lost to Iowa the year before. But Georgia just lost at home to a 
two and three, now three and three, South Carolina team that was on their third string quarterback for the majority of this game. Their starter went down, I I think before halftime, maybe, or maybe right after halftime, early third quarter. But South Carolina with their third string quarterback, who did not look good, I think he had like 60 yards passing. And they were able to beat Georgia in overtime. And honestly, a lot of that loss to me falls on Kirby Smart and his coaching decisions late. That compiled with the fact that Georgia obviously didn't come out inspired. But it's up to coaches to coach their way through those games when their players come out uninspired. And Kirby was unable to do that. So you had one big SEC contender go down, although they're still completely alive, and I'll talk about that later. But then you had Alabama kind of submitting their spot at number one. They beat Texas A&M pretty handily. I mean, A&M did get some offense going early on, but they could not keep up with Alabama. I mean, what Alabama's doing in the passing game right now with Tua and these unbelievable receivers, LSU's the only real comparison. Alabama's doing it in the short passing game, the long passing game. A lot of these plays are their receivers catching balls and then running 60 yards for touchdowns, but we still know Tua can throw it deep. So what they're doing offensively, especially in the passing game, is unreal. Another big game at 3.30 was Clemson destroying my Knowles, just absolutely you know, boat racing them from the start. I had to take a phone call right when that game started. I was on the phone for what felt like maybe 20 minutes max, and then I come back into the room. It's already 21-0. Just no offensive line play from Florida State, and Clemson did exactly what I thought they were going to do. They were pissed off after that North Carolina game. They dropped in the rankings. Everyone's talking about them. Dabo uses that as motivation. They come out and by far play their very best game. As soon as that first drive was over, you could just tell, yeah, they're going to boat race this team. They're going to boat race this Florida State team. Florida State fought hard. They played better than they did the year before, but they're just so far behind Clemson right now. It's sad. And what's even more sad about that is they potentially, we'll see how things play out, but they potentially could be the second best team in the conference when it's all said and done. I don't think they are yet anyway. Um, We'll see how they look against Wake Forest and the rest of their games but Florida State might be second best team in the conference or they're at least in that tier and Clemson just wiped the floor with them so Clemson is so far ahead of the rest of the teams in their conference it's not even funny not even funny another huge game at 330 at least for me I also had money on this game and it was also really fun to watch was Arizona State versus Washington State I'm telling you guys the Pac-12 is fun this year Okay, I know a lot of people think they're out of it already for the playoff. I'll talk later how that's not true. Um, Arizona State looks legit, especially offensively. And they got into a fun barn burner shootout type game with Washington State, which they pulled out late. That was super fun to watch. Then we get into the nightcap, which was super fun. Let's start off with Notre Dame USC. USC really had to win that game to keep their New Year's Six game hopes alive. I mean, I guess they're still totally alive for the Pac-12 technically, so if they win that, they could get in, but now USC is like 3-3, which sucks, but Notre Dame needed to keep their playoff hopes alive, so that was a big game for them, and they looked pretty good doing it. I know some people looked at this game as not that good for Notre Dame, but USC's um, second string quarterback was finally back, Slovis, and I think he's pretty good, and they threw the ball around, and they were able to keep this game close late, although they lost. So Notre Dame holds on. They still have an outside shot at the playoff. They're alive. And obviously, they're still totally alive for a New Year's Six spot, which is probably what will happen to them if they don't make the playoff. Now, the other game at 7.30 was number 10, Penn State, taking on number 17, Iowa. And this game always delivers, at least for me, especially at Iowa. If you remember a couple years ago, Penn State won on the walk-off touchdown with no time left, which was incredible. Trace McSorley threw that pass to Johnson. Touchdown. Barkley was going off. That was just a super fun game. Also, it's super fun, you know, at Iowa. They have that thing with the hospital, the children's hospital right there, and they do the wave. That's just an incredible, amazing new tradition in college football. That's super fun to watch. But you had that game go down, and that game did deliver. There was some def. I'm telling you guys, Iowa is good, and their defense is incredible. I think Penn State and Iowa both have SEC caliber defenses, probably better this year than most defenses in the SEC. Like I said, you got Wisconsin, Penn State, Iowa, and Ohio State. I think they might have better defenses than anyone in the SEC outside of Auburn. Florida's defense is pretty good. 
but they couldn't hold down LSU. I honestly think that Michigan, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio State would all do just as well defensively against LSU as we saw Florida do. And I think Penn State, Iowa, and Ohio State would do even better. So watch out for the Big Ten. They they might be the best conference this year when it comes to this top-heavy stuff. Because the Iowa-Michigan game was impressive to me. It's funny, the Iowa-Michigan game happened on the same day as the Florida-Auburn game. Both those games were extremely sloppy, a lot of interceptions, a lot of big defense, low scoring, but everyone's take after the the Michigan-Iowa game was, oh, that was just a sloppy, gross Big Ten game, those teams aren't any good, but everyone's take after the Auburn-Florida game was, oh, wow, did you see that game? Incredible. These teams are legit. And... You know I'm not one to harp on the SEC bias stuff. I think the SEC deserves most of the praise they get, and typically they're the best conference, and it shows. But that was an example, of, of, to me at least, of this SEC bias thing because I think both of those games were equally as impressive. And this Penn State-Iowa game from Saturday was also impressive. Ohio Penn State went into that environment, a tough environment to play for anybody, and they held on. There was a lot of defense in this game. Penn State kind of like Michigan the week before, had control. The Iowa offense does struggle, but they have played some good defenses in these games where they've struggled, but they only put up three points against Michigan, and in this game, they weren't able to get too much offense going. They did score a touchdown late. That made it look a little closer than it was, and they were alive there at the end, but Penn State held on, and I'm very impressed with Penn State. To me, it's hard to ignore what Ohio State's done. They look like the clear favorite, but I think Penn State is right up there with Ohio State. Maybe a slight tier below them, but it doesn't matter because if they pull off that victory against them, they'll be in control of the Big Ten. So watch out Big Ten right now. I mean, I'm just really impressed with the Big Ten. And then, of course, I was super excited to see this game return to prominence, and that was the LSU-Florida game. That game started at 8, and oh boy, did it deliver. I mean... The offense in this game was incredible. We know what LSU was at offense. We knew what they had. They look like the best offense in the country, maybe outside of Oklahoma and Alabama. Those three offenses that I just named right there are incredible. You could maybe put Ohio State up there too. But in the passing game, similar to what Alabama's doing, I mean, Joe Burrow and LSU are just absolutely killing it right now. They look unbelievable, un- unstoppable. I'm a little suspect with suspect with LSU's defense, as I am Alabama's. That's why I think it makes sense when people say, look, Ohio State's the best team. I know Ohio State hasn't played some of the competition that LSU has, but LSU has some victories right now. I mean, they beat Texas at Texas. That game was impressive, and now they beat this Florida team at home. Florida came out, and their offense looked impressive. I mean, Trask, the quarterback, who was the backup, he looks incredible. He didn't skip a beat there in Death Valley. You know, he looked completely calm and poised, made some mistakes late, some interceptions that I'm sure he wishes he had back. And gosh, Vegas got this game right with a spread, but only because of those interceptions late. And what I'll say even more is Dan Mullen looked unbelievable in this game. Just calm, poised. He looked like he belonged. He looked like he had a play dialed up for every situation. Every time LSU scored for the first three and a half quarters. Florida was able to respond right back. At one point, Florida led in this game 28-21. That was early in the third quarter, and that's kind of when LSU's defense figured it out a little bit, and their offense still couldn't be stopped, and they kind of pulled away from there. But just as a fan, this game was so fun to watch. I talked about in the last podcast how this this rivalry was really fun to watch growing up, you know, in the Tim Tebow days, the Jacob Hester days, Urban Meyer versus Les Miles, those games. And This game felt like one of those games. It really did. And it was also fun to have a big SEC game called by Fowler and Kirk. You know, I don't know what the hell CBS was doing choosing the Alabama A&M game as their primetime game over this game. That makes no sense to me. And I'm sure they suffered the ratings because of it. But anyway, it was fun. Like I said, I like to see, I would like to see CBS do more games in other conferences. I like to see ESPN do more SEC. I'd like to see Fox do more. Like I just, I would like if they all just kind of rotated instead of like, we always get the SEC with CBS. We always get Big 12 and Pac-12 with Fox and ESPN always does the big ACC, Big 10 and what and whatnot. I would like to see that more mixed up. But anyway, that was the recap of the weekend, and 
The other thing about the LSU-Florida game is that both those teams are still completely alive. LSU completely in control of their destiny, but so is Florida. If you run the table with one loss in the SEC, you get in the playoff. You'll be the first one-loss team taken. The only way a one-loss SEC team doesn't get in the playoff is if there's four other undefeated teams out there, usually from the Power 5 conferences, and we know that's already done. Notre Dame has a loss, so they're not jumping a one-loss SEC team. Everyone in the Pac-12 that's in contention has a loss, so an SEC team would get the nod over them. You just have to look out for the three undefeateds being Clemson out of the ACC, either Wisconsin, Ohio State, or Penn State coming out of the Big Ten, and Oklahoma and potentially Baylor coming out of the Big 12. Those are your undefeated teams that could be out there on the table. Now, knowing that, let's get into all the teams that are still alive for the playoff. And my list is way bigger than what you'll hear on any TV show, any other podcast for that matter. I think I saw, I don't know, was it Joel Klatt and a couple other guys the other day, and everybody's saying like, wow, this year is crazy. There's like six teams that might be alive for the playoff right now, which is more than years past. Usually, we know up to this point, like, oh, it looks like Alabama-Clemson, right? Well, they're right about one thing. We have a lot more teams than usual, but my list is way bigger than theirs. And I think that's because when they say their list, they're not at all doing an on-paper list they're simply stating an opinion on in their minds they think they've seen six teams that are capable of making the playoff when it's all said and done so i guess if that's what you're saying yeah maybe you would shorten this list down to six but even in that scenario my list is longer right now i have 17 teams that are technically still alive for the playoff And let's see, 13 of those teams, for me, completely control their own destiny. There's a couple of those 13 that you could argue maybe kind of don't, but there's 13 teams out there that pretty much, at least on paper, control their own destiny as far as making the college football playoff, which is incredible, by the way. That's awesome. That's where you want to be right now. Now, let's go through those teams. Starting off with the actual rankings, right? So Alabama's number one in the country right now. They're 6-0. and If you're 6-0 and in the SEC, you completely control your own destiny. You go undefeated, you will go to the playoff from any Power 5 conference, but obviously especially the SEC. There could be five undefeated Power 5s and an undefeated Notre Dame out there, and the SEC undefeated would get that first seed every single time. Whether that's fair or not is a totally other debate that doesn't matter right now, but that's just the gist of it, okay? They control their own destiny. LSU, from the same division, is also in complete control of their own destiny at 6-0, and okay? Let's just keep it in that division for right now. Auburn, who's 5-1, and is still completely in control of their destiny because if they want out... That means that they beat LSU, they beat Georgia, they beat Bama, they win their division. If they with one loss, win the SEC championship, they're 99% chance of making the playoff. So you got three teams from the SEC West that are all completely alive for the playoff and control their own destiny. Now, this is where I differ from like some of the guys you see on like ESPN, FS1. They wouldn't have Auburn on this list because in their minds, they're saying, I've seen Auburn lose to Florida, and I don't think Auburn's going to win the rest of their games, and I don't either. If I'm betting, I don't think Auburn's going to win the rest of their games. They could easily lose to LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. They might have three more losses on their table. I said before the season that I think Auburn's a four-loss team, and that's still totally possible. But that doesn't mean that on paper you just say they don't have a chance. Technically, Auburn has a fighting chance as good as any other team in that division. Even though they already have a loss, That puts a little bit of the pressure on them, right? They can't afford to lose again, obviously, where LSU could probably lose a game and still win. Alabama could lose a game and still win too. But where it's tricky with Alabama and LSU, whoever loses that game, in my opinion, is pretty much out of the race, at least in the short term, because then they probably don't have a shot at their conference when you consider if Alabama beats LSU, 
they're probably winning their division and going to the conference championship when LSU wouldn't have that shot, and vice versa. If LSU beats Bama, then Bama, even if that's their only loss of the season and they finish 11-1, and they won't have a shot at going to the SEC championship game. And if you don't go to your conference championship game and you're trying to sneak in the playoff as a one-loss team, that's very difficult to do. Yes, we know Alabama was able to do that in 2017. They snuck in, but that was because everybody else had two losses. Or you had Wisconsin, who was 12-1 and to end the year, but lost their very last game, the conference championship game. So without a conference champion, you had these two one-loss teams, and they picked Bama over Wisconsin, rightfully so. Right? Ohio State had two losses that year. Oklahoma had two losses that year. They weren't going to get in. Or sorry, Oklahoma did get in because they only had the one loss. But you had the Pac-12 champion, which I believe was USC, Sam Darnold. They didn't get in with two losses. And then you had Ohio State in the Big Ten, didn't get in with two losses. You had Clemson with one loss get in. You had Georgia with one loss, conference championship get in, Oklahoma, and then Alabama snuck into that fourth spot. That's going to be tricky this year because of how many teams are out there, and they would need a lot of two-loss teams to happen, whether that's LSU or Bama or Auburn, right? Well, I guess that's not, if Auburn wins out, like I said, if Auburn beats LSU and Bama, unless they lost to Georgia, right, they're going to have the head-to-heads. They're going to win the division. They're going to the conference championship and a shot at the playoff from there on out, right? So anyway, there's the SEC West. In that division, you have three teams that, in my opinion, completely control their destiny, right? If any of those three teams win out, they're going to the playoff. And LSU is probably in the best position because if LSU, let's say, does lose a game, it has to be the Auburn game or maybe even late, like A&M or something. If LSU loses to Auburn, which is before the Bama game, I'm pretty sure, then they would have a chance to then beat Bama, beat A&M, and get into the conference title game with one loss where they would still probably make the playoff, like I said, with one loss. An SEC one-loss team that wins the conference is going to the playoff, right? And you could say the same thing about Bama and all that stuff. It's It all goes the same, right? So those three teams, division, okay, we got that. ACC, there's only one team that has a playoff shot at this point. Everyone else has two losses or more, and the conference sucks. That's Clemson. Now, Clemson, like I said before, technically could lose a game, and I would still keep them on this list. I would take away their destiny control and move them over to the list of three teams right now I have that have lost their destiny control. But technically, a one-loss conference champion from the power five especially if that team's clemson i know we're not supposed to have recency bias but there will be recency bias clemson will get the nod potentially in that scenario over any two loss team they probably won't get the nod over any other one loss conference champion but i guarantee you that a one loss clemson that wins the acc as long as they still win the acc and have that loss and that loss isn't like to south carolina or something if they were to slip up you know have another scenario like pitt I still think they would get in over an 11-1 Alabama, over an 11-1 LSU. I know a lot of people think that's unfair, but I think the committee would still do that. We'd have to wait and see. I want a situation like that to happen so that we really see what the committee's made of, right? Do they do the PC thing and put a Power 5 conference champion in, or do they say, no, we actually think this one-loss LSU team is that much better, or Notre Dame, or whoever it is, and we're putting them in over conference champion Clemson, even though they have the same record, because they've never done something like that before. And I've talked about that before. Okay. So now let's go to the big 12, where right now you have two teams that completely control their own destiny, obviously Oklahoma, and they're the clear favorite, but Baylor is six and zero right now, guys, Baylor is undefeated. Now, if you're projecting, right, this is why Baylor isn't on anybody else's like, oh, playoff contender list, because if you're projecting, Hell, you expect Baylor to probably lose this week to a 4-2 and Oklahoma State team. That wouldn't surprise any of us. But technically, Baylor has the opportunity to win the rest of their games, right? Or let's say they lose to Oklahoma or lose to Texas, and they get into the Big 12 championship game with one loss and then beat that team that beat them or beat an Oklahoma in that scenario, they'd be a one-loss Big 12 champ. And they're probably going to the playoff in that scenario. There's a very likely shot. Power five, one-loss teams make the playoff. I don't know how many times I'm going to have to repeat that. So when it comes to the Big 12, you've got two teams that completely control their own destiny. Get that in your head. I know Baylor probably isn't going to get it done, right? If you're projecting 
based on odds. If you're a betting man, you're probably picking Baylor to lose this weekend possibly because you know that loss is coming, and then you're thinking they could probably lose to Texas and Oklahoma. This could be a four-loss Baylor team when it's all said and done, but right now they're ranked and they're undefeated. Okay, now let's move to the Big Ten. This is where things get dicey and a little interesting. The Big Ten as a conference has Ohio State undefeated, completely in control of their own destiny, and the clear favorite. Then you've got Wisconsin, also 6-0 undefeated, completely in control of their destiny, and isn't the favorite because of Ohio State, but it looks like they're right there with them. Then you have Penn State, also 6-0 undefeated, completely in control of their destiny. And if they run the table or get to the Big Ten title with one loss and win, they are going to the playoff. And now here's a team that I think is going to surprise a lot of people, but they're still on my list of alive. Michigan. Now, only because their loss was a blowout loss, I've moved them to they don't technically maybe control their own destiny because if they win the conference with one loss and they're getting compared to, let's say, another team with one loss, even if that's a Pac-12 team, let's say it's Oregon or something, maybe because their loss was a blowout, they'll lose the notch and have a worse loss. But Michigan, and I'm not projecting that Michigan will run the table. That's very unlikely. Michigan most likely loses to Penn State this weekend and then again to Ohio State, maybe even drops another game, right? But technically... Michigan has the opportunity, it's all about opportunities, guys. Michigan has the opportunity to win out, which would give them wins over Penn State, Ohio State, and then potentially a Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game in a rematch, so they avenge their loss if if that crazy scenario unfolds. Then you would have a 12-1 Michigan team that would be headed to the playoff. So that's why Michigan is also one of these 17 teams I have on here that's alive for the playoff. Probably not going to happen, just like Baylor's probably not going to happen, but Michigan. And now, you may be thinking I'm done with the Big Ten, but no, I'm not. There's one other team out there in the Big Ten that's undefeated right now. Guys, Minnesota is 6-0. and And I'm projecting them to probably lose four games, right? If you're betting, they're going to be a four-loss team when it's all said and done. You don't see Minnesota getting by an Ohio State, a Wisconsin, a Penn State, probably even a Michigan, maybe not even an Iowa, right? Iowa's got two losses, but they're good. But here's what's a little sketchy about Minnesota. Minnesota's in the other division with Wisconsin. So they don't play Ohio State this year, and they don't play Michigan. They do play Penn State, and they do play Wisconsin to end the year. And they also play Iowa. And those three games are all in the back half of their schedule. I think in the last month, in November, Minnesota plays those three games. And I'm picking them to lose all three of those games right now. But let's say they get through that slate somehow and only lose one of those games. Let's say they lose to Penn State. But then they're able to beat Wisconsin at the end of the year and they also beat Iowa. Well, guess what? They're going to the Big Ten Championship game now where they probably either rematch Penn State or play Ohio State. And again, I don't think they have the firepower to beat those teams, but this is college football. Anything can happen. Can you imagine if you had a 12-1 Minnesota team at the end of the year that won the Big Ten? You can't leave them out. You can't leave them out. So that would be insane. I mean, row the freaking boat, P.J. Fleck. It was just last year that everybody was saying, that's not working out. That P.J. Fleck thing at Minnesota isn't working out. I think even I would have agreed with that last year. P.J. Fleck's an interesting guy. I love what he did at Western Michigan, but I was like, eh, I don't know if he can win at a big-time school. Not that Minnesota is a big-time school, but geez, I mean, he's getting it done right now. They're 6-0. It feels good to be a Minnesota fan as of today. And can you imagine if that Wisconsin game at the end of the year is for the division? I mean, talk about that rivalry. Right? Isn't that the one for Paul Bunyan's axe or whatever they always play? I mean, Wisconsin wins it almost every year. Outside of a couple upsets, Minnesota's been able to pull, but Minnesota's good. So think about this. Big Ten has one, two, three, four undefeated teams. Then you add Michigan. That's the fifth team in the Big Ten that controls their own destiny. You have five playoff contenders as we sit right now going into week eight from the Big Ten. Pretty incredible. 
lot of fun pretty incredible all right now let's jump back over to the sec real quick because we still have the other division we got the sec east where you've got two contenders right now you got florida and georgia both have one loss right which means in two weeks when they play each other that is for the division champion unless some crazy shit happens after that that's for the division championship so right now you got florida at six and one georgia at five and one florida's got a really good loss on the road to lsu georgia got upset at home but it doesn't matter, right? I know people are like, oh, why isn't Georgia getting written off with their loss? It's because of what the opportunity ahead of them is, okay? If Georgia runs the table after this, that means they're going to beat Florida, they're going to beat Auburn, and then they're going to beat the SEC West champion, either LSU or Bama, in the conference title game. They also play A&M, right? So if they win all those games, like I said, they would be a 12-1 SEC championship team i don't need to repeat myself they'd be going to the playoff right and same with florida if florida runs the table from here on out they also would be going to the sec championship game as a playoff team or as a playoff contender and if they win that game they're in the playoff right so now if you back up and you go to the sec conference as a whole you've got one two three four five teams from that conference all alive as we sit today for the college football playoff okay five teams from sec five teams from the big 10 that is really cool 10 teams from two conferences are alive for the college football playoff okay we got one from the acc we've got two potential teams out there from the big 12 now let's get into the pac 12 where we currently have three teams that are alive now i think oregon is the only team that completely controls their own destiny right oregon if you remember they lost that game to auburn in week one but that was the best time to lose a game and they lost to a pretty good team and they lost in a fashion that's kind of in their favor because they looked like the dominant team in that game they let it get away from them there at the end because bo nix did his thing and if you think about it Oregon has to control their own destiny for the most part because if they run the table and they become a 12-1 Pac-12 champion, like I've said before, they're probably in the playoff if that happens. They would have some decent wins too, right? They've beaten, they would have beaten Washington, which that's this weekend, and that's going to be their toughest game left so far in the regular season just because Washington has those two losses, so they're probably out of the playoff unless the world's craziest scenario of all time happens. Washington's out, but Washington's still alive for a conference title, still alive for New Year's Six Bowl. So they're going to want that Oregon game. It's their rival. It's a big-time rivalry. Oregon, Washington, really excited for that this weekend. We're going to see what happens, but Oregon's in control of their own destiny. Now, there's two other teams in the Pac-12 that are one-loss teams right now that I wouldn't say control their own destiny because they're non-conference schedules. And their lack of opportunity to get giant wins potentially other than maybe that oregon game in a pac-12 championship game but that's utah and arizona state who play each other this weekend by the way so this list is literally getting smaller week by week but you have arizona state sitting out there at five and one and you have utah sitting out there at five and one okay and by the way that's really cool by the way i'm saying by the way a lot but by the way that's really freaking cool you've got utah and arizona state Two teams, especially Utah, that nationally hasn't been super, super relevant, right? I mean, you had Urban Meyer take Utah to a BCS bowl game back in 2004 before he moved on to Florida. Then you had an undefeated Utah team in 2008 that actually took down Nick Saban in Alabama in that Sugar Bowl, and they went undefeated. Since then, they've joined the Pac-12, and now they're finally in contention to win Pac-12 championships, right? Division championships, Pac-12 championships. They did lose to USC which sucks because that would have been a big win for Utah. And that kind of proved that, okay, maybe Utah isn't on the level we thought they were preseason. Preseason, looking at Utah, I'm like, this defensive line is SEC caliber. And I still think it is, but there are some weaknesses there. USC was able to exploit them when they beat them. I mean, USC did beat Utah with a third string quarterback because Slovis got hurt at the start of that game. And then Fink comes in and they still are able to win. And that was a a really fun game. But USC is a three-loss team now. USC lost to BYU, who Utah destroyed in week one. So anyway, right now you've got Utah, Arizona State, both 5-1. and one. They play each other this weekend. It's actually one of the games I'm looking forward to the most this weekend. 
um, even though it's a Pac-12 game. And it's stupid that the Pac-12 network somehow has that game. You got two ranked teams playing each other, and the Pac-12 network has that game? That's ridiculous. Good thing I do have the Pac-12 network, and I'll be able to watch it, but I mean, come on. That's insane. Anyway, so you got those two teams playing each other. Those two teams are alive for the playoff. I wouldn't quite say they control their own destiny, just because if it really came down to a Utah one loss and maybe a Big Ten one loss or even a Clemson one loss, right? I think if Oregon and Clemson were somehow competing for that last spot with one loss, let's just say, I think Oregon has to get that nod over Clemson because their loss is really good. Where if Utah and Clemson are going at it at the end, eh, I think Clemson might get that, which is kind of a recency bias thing. But that's just my opinion. That's what I think would happen. And then I've got one more team out here that I think is still alive for the playoff, and that is Notre Dame. They're 5-1, and one, and yeah, they would need some help. They don't play a conference championship game. But if there's going to be a one-loss team that makes the playoff that doesn't win a conference championship, I think Notre Dame would get that nod over what everybody thinks it's going to be an SEC West team. So a lot of people think the loser of the LSU-Bama game is really alive for the playoff. I think that if it came down to a one-loss LSU or a one-loss Notre Dame, you'd have to give it to Notre Dame, assuming an SEC team already is in the playoff. So let's say Alabama beats LSU like they do every freaking year, and they go to the SEC championship game, and they win that game, and they win the SEC championship as a one-loss team or an undefeated team, they're obviously in the playoff. And what everybody's thinking is, well, if LSU is 11-1 and and their only loss is to that undefeated Bama team, maybe they'll get that fourth spot the way that Bama did in 2017. And that's possible, but remember, that's going to require two lost conference champions from at least two of the other Power 5 conferences. That's also going to require Clemson to lose, and that also, I think, means Notre Dame has to lose again, because I think you would give that shot to Notre Dame over another SEC team. I think that's fair. I think even if you think LSU is better than that Notre Dame team, or, or Alabama, whoever that one-loss non-conference champion is, I think at the end of the day, you say, look, we're taking one SEC team, the champion, and we're not going to take that second one unless we have to, like in 2017, where there really wasn't a good fourth spot. You know, Alabama... 90% of the time would not have made it in the playoff with what happened to them at the end of 2017. They lost their last game and then didn't get to go to the SEC championship game, benefited from not going to that game, which kind of is stupid and annoying. But when you have Ohio State messing up with losses to Iowa and you have um, the USC team in the Pac-12 getting two losses and you just had no choice but to pick Alabama. But I think in this scenario, Notre Dame would get that spot over an SEC team. And that's why as we sit here today, the, that is the list of my teams that are still alive for the college football playoff. I don't think that Arizona State, Notre Dame, or Utah, maybe even Michigan, I don't think those teams quite can say they could completely control their own destinies. But I think all those teams I just listed have a pretty good shot at making the playoff if they run the table. So we'll see what happens, but just celebrate that, right? We're going into week eight. It's the middle of October, and you can say that there's 17 teams out there alive for the ultimate prize, a shot at the title, and there's probably over 25, maybe 30 teams that at this point have shots at going to New Year's Six Bowl games, which is the main thing you play for in college football outside of the national title. So... This season shaping up to be a bounce-back year nationally compared to the last couple years where it was obvious who the best teams were throughout most of the year. And that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun, okay? Since my team, Florida State, is down and sucks and they're not competitive, the next thing you can ask for is having a good season, right? We're all college football fans, and that is pretty freaking awesome. So now I want to transition into some coaching issues. You know, I was listening to... Fine bomb yesterday, and a lot of Georgia fans are calling in and complaining about Kirby, but then you got a lot of people defending him and a lot of stuff. Now, they should be mad regarding Saturday's loss. That does, to me, fall on Kirby Smart, and this is like the third or fourth time we've seen him do this in a game. Both the national championship game against Bama and the SEC title game last year, they blew leads, and it just was like, what are they doing? Especially, gosh, that fake punt in the SEC title game last year was ridiculous. Really cost them. 
And then in this game, I don't know, if you want to highlight just the lack of getting his players up or in the game just not attempting that field goal at the end. I mean, they've got one of the best kickers. Give that guy a chance. I mean, they just made some weird, weird decisions down the stretch. But what I will say is you had a callers calling in to find bomb, and uh, some of them were so angry that people had even attempted to compare Kirby Smart to Mark Rick, right? They're like, oh, we want to be mad at Kirby today, but there's no way you can compare him to Mark Rick. I mean, he's miles ahead of Mark Rick, and honestly, there's not a ton of evidence for that going forward. I mean, come on, Georgia fans, let's just look at a couple of things real quick. In fact, let's do a straight-up comparison to the Rick era and what we have so far in the Kirby Smart era, okay? Now, Georgia fans think they made this ginormous upgrade at coach, but most of that is based on potential and upside and not based in the facts. So let's compare just their first three seasons, since we only have three seasons of Kirby, and let's go to the first three seasons Georgia had. Now, keep in mind, Kirby coaches Georgia in the college football playoff era, and Mark Richt was a coach during the BCS era, where it was significantly harder to make the national championship game because you had to be selected as the final two, not the final four. Okay, so let's start with Richt. Let's just do his first three years real quick. In 2001, when Mark Richt takes over, Georgia goes 8-4, and four, and they make it to the Music City Bowl. Okay. In 2002, though, Georgia goes 13-1 and goes to the Sugar Bowl where they win. They won a Sugar Bowl as a 13-1 team. So basically that means before the Sugar Bowl, they're 12-1, right? And they didn't make the national championship that year. Why? Because Ohio State and Miami were undefeated playing for the title. If there was a playoff in 2002, you can bet your ass that Georgia would have been in it. And most likely, they beat Ohio State. I mean, that Ohio State, there's a reason that was the biggest upset in national championship history when Ohio State beat Miami, and they kind of needed a fluke call at the end to do it, okay? Let's say Georgia gets in as the three seed that year, because I'm pretty sure they were ranked number three going into that Sugar Bowl. They probably beat Ohio State, and then they go play for a national championship. You can't discredit that, okay? They weren't given the opportunity because it was 2002, so they got the next best thing, which was the Sugar Bowl. But had there been a playoff, they would have gone to it, okay? And let's just say they lose for sake of argument to Miami, okay? Let's So 2002, you have a team that won the Sugar Bowl, went 13-1, and could have potentially gone to a national title game and lost, whatever, right? Then 2003, they go 11-3, and and they go win the Capital One Bowl, right? This is where it was harder to get into those New Year's Six games, right? Because one of them is the national title game, and then they had rules about you can't have more than, you know, two SEC teams in the BCS and blah, blah, blah. And in 2003, you had LSU playing for the title, and I think you might have had another SEC team in one of the other BCS Bulls. It's kind of hard to imagine that Georgia, who was obviously 9 or 10 and 3 going into the Capital One Bowl, they I think it's because they lost the SEC title to Georgia that year. Yeah, that's what happened. So Georgia loses the SEC championship to the eventual national championship LSU in 2003. As so they're punished, they don't go to BCS Bowl, but they finish 11 and 3. Okay, there's the first 3 years of Mark Rick. Now let's go to the first three years so far of Kirby Smart. 2016, Georgia goes 8-5, and five, and they win the Liberty Bowl. Okay, what, do you remember what Mark Rick's first year was? 8-4, and four, Music City Bowl. Kirby Smart, first year, 8-5, and five, Liberty Bowl. Okay, 2017, Kirby's second year, the big year that Georgia fans are still hanging their hat on, right? Even though they didn't capitalize. 2017, Georgia finishes 13-2, and and they lose the national championship game. Now, because it's the college football playoff era, they also get a Rose Bowl victory in the same year they lose the Natty, which that's one cool thing about the playoff, right? You didn't win the national championship, but you still have a postseason game to go back on and say that you won. And it was a big Rose Bowl for all the marbles, right? Where in the years past, if you lost the BCS championship game, 
it was almost like, dang, I wish we could have just went and won the Fiesta Bowl or won the Rose Bowl. You know, that almost finishes you on a higher note than losing the national championship. So in the playoff era, you can potentially do both. So, okay, well, remember Mark Rick's second year? He also won 13 games, okay? 13-2 and two for, Mark, for Kirby in 2017. 2002 for Mark Rick, 13-1 and one with a Sugar Bowl victory. So you, and think about it, there was no playoff back then. So take out the national championship loss, and 2017 Georgia is just like 2002 Georgia. They both go 13-1 and and win New Year's Six BCS-style bowl games. The only difference is Kirby was in the playoff era, so he got to advance, go play a national championship, which they didn't win. Even though they had a lead, they didn't win. Okay, now 2018, Kirby's third year in the last full season we have to compare. He goes 11 and 3 and loses a Sugar Bowl. 10 and 2 regular season. Right? Or excuse me, 11 and 1 regular season, lose the SEC Championship to Bama, cost them a playoff berth, and then they lose the Sugar Bowl. What did Mark Rick do in 2003? Oh, he also went 11 and 3 and won the Capital One Bowl. Okay? And now, here we are in 2019, Georgia's already dropped a game. And I'll tell you, I know I wasn't doing the projection thing when I was giving you all my playoff, potential playoff teams, but if I am projecting, I don't think Georgia's winning the national championship this year. I don't think Georgia's making the playoff this year. If they're lucky, they'll run the table the rest of the season, which means they get a big win versus Florida, and I would honestly favor Florida in that game today. And then they would have to win the SEC championship game and then make the playoff and then actually win the playoff for once. But they're probably not going to do that. I think Georgia's looking at another 10-2, and 11-2 season where they'll go play a New Year's Six game and have a chance to win. Okay, so if that's the case, we'll look at Mark Rick's fourth year. We're currently in Kirby's fourth year. He went 10-2. 10-2. Okay, and then let's finish Mark Rick, and especially the good seasons. So Mark Rick, we already talked about 2002, 13-1, 2003, 11-3, 2004, went 10-2, 2005, went 10-3, went to the Sugar Bowl, 2006, went 9-4, but still won a Peach Bowl, another New Year's Six game. 2007, they finished 11-2, win the Sugar Bowl. They might have gotten in a playoff that year if there was one. They were super good at the end of that year. Everybody respected them, which is why in 2008, they came in preseason number one, didn't live up to those expectations, but still finished 10-3, win the Capital One Bowl. 2011, they finished 10-4, and four, another 10-win season. Okay, then, or sorry, that was 2011. So between 2008 and 11, they had some mediocre seasons, like some 8-5 and five seasons. 2011, 10-4, 2012, 12-2. And, and remember, in 2012, they're going to that SEC championship game 12-1 with a shot at the national championship, and they lose an epic game to Bama. And Mark Rick coached that game a lot better than Kirby did the last SEC championship game against Bama. That cost them a shot at the national title. So, I mean, let's not be too hard. Then you go 2014, 10 wins. 2015, 10 wins, and he gets fired. He leaves, right? Because Georgia thinks they're about to get over this hump. Well, so far, they haven't got over the hump, and this is why I think it's so unfortunate for Georgia that they didn't capitalize on the national championship game that they lost in 2017, okay? You were there. You had your chance. And you know what? They lost that game. They were devastated, as anybody would be. Losing a national championship's got to hurt, okay? I can tell you right now that in 2013, if Jameis Winston doesn't lead the team down the field and we lose to Auburn in what still would have been an incredible football game, but if we lose, that one hurts, right? And you can now see, looking back on it, we would have not had a chance to go back, okay? Because 2014 happened, 15, 16 happened, and then Florida State fell off the map because things change fast in college football. That's what happens. So Georgia fans, you guys should be scared, in my opinion. Look what happened in 2017. You didn't win, but everyone kind of rallies around because they're like, well, that was only Kirby's second year. We're loaded in recruiting classes. We're just loaded in recruiting classes, so we'll be back. We'll get one. This one hurts, but we know we're going to get like one or two national titles in Kirby's tenure at Georgia. Slow down. Slow the F down, guys. What makes you say that? 
okay? Take Florida State, Jimbo Fisher, for example, because that's my team. That's the best comparison right now. We go to the national title in 2013. We have an unbelievable season, just like 2017 Georgia, right? And we get to the national championship, and instead of folding late after a lead, we actually give up a lead early. We come back. We win the national championship, okay? We were the Bama to the Georgia in that year, right? Auburn had the lead on us. We steal it from them. Okay, we win a national championship. And guess what we had after that? Big time recruiting classes. Jimbo had a number one or two recruiting class every year he was there until like the year he left. Okay, he came in in 2010, big recruiting class, 11, number two, number one recruiting class. You know, 2012, 13, we're winning these games, right? 2012, Florida State goes 12 and 2, win the Orange Bowl. Okay, we're back. 13 national title, 2014, undefeated season, first playoff berth. We lose the playoff game. Okay, but we're still Florida State. 2015, we had a 10 win season, made a New Year's Six Bowl. 2016, we had a 10 win season, won the Orange Bowl, still had big recruiting classes, and then all of a sudden, 2017 happened. We play Bama in the opener, Francois gets hurt. Jimbo Bales in the program, we go seven and five. And then last year we went five and freaking seven. And here we are still trying to bounce back with no signs of it getting better anytime soon. And I'm not saying that Georgia's gonna fall off the map, but this idea that Georgia was just gonna get a national title sometime in the near future. Remember who what conference they play in? The SEC. Yeah, it's not the ACC that Florida State played in. Okay. Florida State couldn't get back to the title game, one, because of Clemson and a couple of other reasons, but Georgia's got four Clemsons in their league that they have to compete with. Florida in their own division. And look what's going on in recruiting and all these other things. Dan Mullen's obviously a guy, okay? He's Florida's guy. He's good, okay? Georgia might beat Florida this year, but that's going to be a battle. Every year from here on out, that's going to be a big-time battle, which as a college football fan, that's what you want. But as a Georgia fan, you're scared. Okay, then you got LSU every year, potentially in the SEC title game, Alabama, Saban's not going anywhere. It's the SEC. You know what league you play in Georgia. You just lost at home to South Carolina, who wasn't even supposed to be good, but it's still the SEC and those things happen. So Georgia, chill out and be upset with the way Kirby Smart has handled some of these big games for you guys, because it doesn't matter that your recruiting classes are a little bit better than Mark Rick had. Right now, you're right on par with what Mark Rick was doing. You're winning 10, 11 games a season and not winning the national championship, which is basically what Mark Rick did for you for 10, 12 straight years. Okay? So that's my rant to Georgia fans. Okay? You got to be worried. I would be worried. I've got nothing against Georgia. I actually was praying on my knees that Georgia was going to beat Bama in 2017. I wanted that bad for you guys. Okay, and I'd love to see Georgia win a title. Okay, this is nothing against Georgia, but you guys just aren't being realistic with the performance of Kirby in comparison to Rick Smart. The first three years for both of them are literally identical. Identical. I know in a Georgia fan's mind that 2017 was this incredible thing that Mark Rick never did, but I'm telling you, if there was a playoff in 2002, Georgia makes it. And I think Georgia would have had as good a chance of anybody to beat Ohio State or Miami that year. I know that's a lot of old history for you guys, and maybe some of you younger fans don't remember it, but I've watched all those games. I've watched the 2002 Georgia team on tape. I've watched the 2002 Miami team, Ohio State, okay? That Miami and Ohio State game was a classic, but that Ohio State national championship team is probably the least talented national championship team we've had in the last, like, 20 years, just on paper, just the athletes weren't there. That's why it's this classic, crazy game everybody talks about. That's why it was such an upset. They were quarterbacked by Craig Krenzel, okay? You probably don't even probably know who that is, okay? But that's what happened. So the first three years of both of these coaches, identical. And guess what? If Kirby takes Georgia to a 10-2, 11-2 season this year, then through four years, their coaching tenures are basically identical. I would say Georgia's more on track to have a bunch of 10, 9 to 10 win seasons and no national titles than they are than you can just say, oh, they're going to win national titles because guess what? They play in the SEC. I don't even need to keep repeating myself. You guys know what it is, okay? Now, there is one other little coaching situation I want to talk about, and that's A&M with Jimbo Fisher, okay? 
I understand A&M's frustration. They forked over more money than anybody ever should for a head coach, so they want national titles now. Well, that's not going to happen because, one, you're Texas A&M. This isn't rebuilding Florida State, which Shimbo did the first time, a program that should always, by any standard, and this is objectively speaking, should be competing for conference championships and New Year's Six Bowls and national championships. It's Florida State. They have a recruiting hotbed like crazy, okay? And yeah, Texas A&M has Texas to recruit in, but they're also Texas A&M, and they've never been that program. And it's hard to be the first coach to turn a team into a winning program, especially in the modern era. You know, since World War II, which is, you know, a long time ago now, 1945. Since 1945, I think we've only had like 20 national championship teams, like maybe 22. So you see a lot of the same teams, right? You see USC all the time, Oklahoma's, your Alabama's, okay? Your occasional Florida's, Florida State's. You know the list of teams, the Ohio State's, the Michigan's, right? Those are the teams that won national titles between World War II and now, and a lot of repeats. You had your occasional one-offs, Georgia Tech got one in there, BYU got one in there, Colorado got one in there, right? But for the most part, it's like the same 20 teams over like a 75-year stretch have won all the national titles, right? Throw Notre Dame in there too. Not so much the last couple decades, but... They won a lot of titles, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Notre Dame is one of those teams. So Georgia's got to be careful, okay? And in, in the last, since World War II, Georgia has won one national title, okay? One. And Texas A&M has won zero. Florida State has won three. And only one of them was with Jimbo Fisher, okay? So I think Jimbo is a really good coach. But I also think you can't be Texas A&M and go, you know what we want to do? We want to win a national championship while Nick Saban's at Alabama. That's just not fair. This is the same one I was talking about with the Gus Malzahn rant. Auburn fans want Gus out while Nick Saban's at Alabama. That's the best you're going to do. Even another coach that comes in isn't going to just beat Nick Saban all the time. Gus Malzahn has beaten Nick Saban a couple of times. Jimbo never has. Didn't do it at FSU. And now two tries at Texas A&M hasn't been able to get it done either. Now, I'm not saying that they can't get this done. If Jimbo recruits his guys, gets his guys in there, gets a quarterback that he loves in there, I'm telling you firsthand, Jimbo, when he has his quarterback, that offense is as high rolling as Bama right now, LSU right now, Oklahoma lately. That's what Jimbo can be with the right quarterback. The problem is, is Jimbo can only be that with the right quarterback. He does not adjust his system to the lack of talent on the field, right? So, and you saw this, I think uh, either a booster or someone posted like on Reddit or some chat room that this is why he was mad at Jimbo, right? He's like, oh, we're never going to be a relevant team. You know, you need NFL player. Yes, that's true. Jimbo Fisher needs NFL caliber talent at all the positions on offense, running back, receiver, quarterback, good offensive line. That's what he needs to, to thrive. And you need, a, you need a championship defense. Texas A&M has never had any of those things, really, okay? Yeah, they had Johnny Manziel. He's not an NFL talent quarterback. He's a fun, dynamic, loosey-goosey, you know, guy that had a big ego, right? That was Johnny Manziel, and cool. He got you 12 wins or 11 wins that one year. You upset Bama. You still were nowhere close to sniffing a national title under him. But yet Texas A&M wants to go to these unbelievable, unrealistic heights for the program they've always been. And there's nothing wrong with shooting for the stars, right? That's what money can buy. Outside of Oregon, I hear that Texas A&M has the best facilities compared to anybody, right? And they just paid more money for a head coach than anybody else has ever paid. Guaranteed them everything, okay? So that's where you guys are, Texas A&M. And I, and I think Jimbo's a great coach. I wish Florida State still had him. You know, I think he's miles above Willie Tiger. I think he's probably the third or fourth best coach there is. And people were jabbing at me over Twitter saying, oh, without Jameis and Dalvin Cook, Jimbo's... It's funny because people used to say without Jameis, Jimbo was nothing. But then they realized, wow, there's a lot of 10-win seasons without Jameis. So they just throw Dalvin Cook in there, who's a running back. Yeah, a running back won us 10 games. That's not really how running backs are. See Florida State now. They have Cam Akers, who isn't a Dalvin Cook, but is a great 
college running back, and it doesn't even matter because they have no offensive line, and they have lack of coaching in other areas. Their defense isn't good and isn't well coached. So they went 5-7 and seven last year with this phenomenal running back who couldn't do shit last year because no one blocked for him. Yeah, Dalvin Cook was phenomenal, a transcendent once-in-a-lifetime type player, but he had an offensive line. He had a quarterback that could at least make some throws downfield, which opens up the run, and he had a coach, Jimbo Fisher, that knew how to scheme him into successful plays. So don't give me that, oh, Jimbo Fisher was only Jameis. And I'll be like, no, no, Jimbo Fisher won 10 games before either of those players got there. Jimbo Fisher played for an ACC championship in year one, 2010, won 10 games that year, beat South Carolina, a Spurrier coach team, in, in the Peach Bowl that year. New Year's Six Bowl, year one, okay? 2011 was a setback. 2012, they go 12-2 and two and win the Orange Bowl, okay? Then Jameis comes in, and we win a national title, and then have an undefeated regular season repeat where we go back to the playoff in 2014. Then in 2015, with no quarterback, yeah, cool, we had Dalvin Cook. We had no good quarterback play, especially in the beginning of the year in 2015, found a way to win 10 games, okay? 2016, even though we had that rough start, right? Louisville blows us out. Then we lose North Carolina. The team could have quit, but that's good coaching, keeping the players alive. We rally. We have another 10-win season. Then we beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Classic Orange Bowl, by the way, okay? Then, yeah, 2017 happens, falls off the map. Jimbo Fisher leaves Florida State a mess. It was pretty ridiculous what he did to the program, but Jimbo was a good coach. And I've always said, you don't fire a coach just because you're not winning, you know, unless you're going, you know, like five and seven, you're doing terrible, then you got to move on. But these, these programs that do what Georgia did, oh, we're not satisfied with 10 win seasons. We think we're better. Let's get rid of Mark Rick or Texas A&M. We're not satisfied with eight win seasons. Let's get rid of Kevin Sumlin. The reason why I agree with what A&M did is because they didn't just fire their coach for the sake of firing their coach. They fired their coach because Jimbo Fisher was out there and willing to come, and he was an upgrade, right? He was actually an upgrade. LSU, their gamble paid off, but when they got rid of Les Miles, there was no plan. They just knew they were over Les Miles, who had an incredible run at LSU, and they just got rid of him, and thank God... Ed Orgeron's worked out for them, but there was no guarantee that was going to happen. That was a risk. If Auburn gets rid of Gus, that would be a huge risk. They could fall. Look at what Tennessee's been since they got rid of Philip Fulmer. Look at what happened to Auburn for a while after they got rid of Tommy Tupperville, right? These things don't always go in your favor. Be okay with eight, nine, ten win seasons, because I can tell you right now as a Florida State fan, we'd give anything to have eight, nine, ten win seasons come back to Florida State. Yeah, national championships are great, and that's what you expect at all these programs. I get it, I get it, fan bases, but you got to be realistic. And while Nick Saban is at Alabama, it's unrealistic to expect your team, unless they're maybe named LSU or maybe Florida, Georgia, I guess, right? It's unrealistic to just expect consistent berths in the playoff and or national championship. Until Nick Saban leaves, that's the reality, okay? So there you go. Those are my coaching rants. But anyway, who cares about that? Just go back to what I said earlier in the show. We've got 17 teams alive for the ultimate prize. It's already week eight, and this season's shaping out to be an awesome one. Thanks for listening, and I will see you guys next week. Stick together